program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show as we always and often do we have a full lineup coming in from all over the country so check out who's going to be here this evening we're going to be welcoming back our good brother mr kendrick thomas kendrick thomas is an administrator out in the beautiful city of houston texas he's going to be breaking down the latest in his fight against coronavirus as he sees it out there in houston texas in the world of elementary school uh, that's going to be a great conversation we have with mr thomas also we're going to be featuring dr amanda rankin who's a clinical psychotherapist in chicago illinois and she's going to be joined by by Amina Dumbia and Akila McCord, uh, two workers out there in Chicago as they discuss the latest teacher walkout in the Chicago public school system. So we're gonna be having a very good conversation with people right there on the ground, uh, fighting for the rights of children in this ongoing battle with coronavirus. So that's the Chicago public school systems. Uh, Dr. Amanda Rankin and her guests will be joining us. And also we're gonna be paying a very somber tribute to the late and great Mr. Sidney Poitier, 94 years young, y'all. He passed away a few days ago, and we're gonna be paying uh, a robust tribute to him by film critic out of Virginia, our good sister, Janine Coveney, is gonna be returning to the show to help us pay tribute to Sidney Poitier. And also, before we kick off our show, we've had some additional passings and some memoriams to uh, reflect upon. Uh, they say they go in threes, so not only was Sidney Poitier in, in the headlines for passing away this, these past few days. We also lost, uh, suddenly and unexpectedly, comedian Bob Saget. And those of you who remember Bob Saget, the TV show Full House, he starred in with uh, his uh, co-star, Mr. John Stamos, and his lifelong friend, uh, the Olsen twins, Mary-Kate and Ashley. And Mary-Kate and Ashley, of course, are the big sisters to their little sister, Elizabeth Olsen, who plays the Scarlet Witch in uh, Marvel's uh, Avengers and all that, and WandaVision. You know, that's their little baby sister, Elizabeth. Uh, Bob Saget, we suddenly lost him. We also lost uh, the great Calvin Simon. He was a singer, original member of the group Funkadelic and P-Funk. They later changed their name to the original P. Uh, that just featured the singers of Funkadelic, including Clarence Haskins and... Um, Grady Thomas and Stingray Davis. Uh, Calvin Simon had in most recent years become a gospel singer from the early 2000s to the time of his passing. Uh, but he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Parliament Funkadelic. So we lost Calvin Simon. We also lost the Woodstock Festival co-creator Michael Lang. Oh my God. Uh, Michael Lang had been battling non-Hodgkin lymphoma and he's the uh, founder and creator of 1969 uh, outdoor music concert called Woodstock. 
Uh, he was only 77 years old, y'all, but we lost Michael Lang, uh, founder of Woodstock. And last but not least, of course, uh, also in the world of film, we lost Peter Bogdanovich. And he was most famous for his directorial classic called The Last Picture Show. He also directed films such as Wild Angels and What's Up Doc, uh, starring uh, actors and actresses such as Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepard, Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill. Uh, he was also famous for directing Paper Moon. Uh, that's Peter Bogdanovich. We're also one year out from the passing of my good brother, Mr. Al Jackson III. So I want to send him a rest in paradise as well. So this is KCWG, the truth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with the good brother, Mr. Kendrick Thomas. After this. to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Chat life, yeah, we chat on these drugs. CWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, as you well are aware that the Omicron variant is running rampant through our society right now. 
Yes, indeed. And across the country, different regions are responding to it in their respective manner, shapes and forms. And I wanted to talk to people across the country. So we're going to do a couple of segments here. Uh, we have a returning guest. We're going to have some other guests on the program as well. But this this good brother, he's been here before. He's an administrator in uh, Texas, and uh, he also hosts a wonderful radio program. Uh, he's the founder of KTTV. And I believe that's in Houston, if I'm not wrong, good brother. Yes, and uh, yeah, this brother is amazing. And uh, I want to talk to him about what it's like to deal with this stretch of the coronavirus in the early stages of 2022. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychiatry Bump School, our good brother, Mr. Kendrick Thomas. Mr. Thomas, are you there? I am in the building, sir. Thank you for having me, man in the building what is going on man you out uh, there in the lone star state man how have you been I, i've been good man you know just um keeping the mission pushing forward uh hmm. looking a little different from last year as far as in the schoolhouse all the kids are back so man we're yeah. just chugging through this new wave trying to make it man man how are you making it man because we i mean the last time you were here i believe we were all pretty much on distance learning well in california we were for sure yeah. last time i had you here and the extent to which y'all were closed out there in texas i can't recall can you get me up to speed mm -hmm. a little bit from the last time you were here till now what have been the uh differences and evolution of this virus from your vantage point good brother mr Kendrick? yes sir Thomas. you know um man you know in texas we are we are a republic so uh yes, you know we kind of do our own thing down here if you say That's so uh right. since then uh you know we've been doing a lot of people have been doing the mass mandates well our state decided to go the other way so mm. um if you try to mandate a mask in somewhere you will be fined one thousand dollars a thousand dollars yeah just just if you if you if you say you gotta wear a mask and people can't come in without it you deny them if they report you it's a thousand dollars so I could go to a 7-Eleven and a worker behind the counter can say, excuse me, uh, DJ Rome, you're not wearing a mask. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, um, I'm going to buy this here bottle of water and then I'm going to get on out of here. So if I decide to report that 7-Eleven, Mr. Thomas, you're saying that they could be fined $1,000. Yeah, if he refused you service because oh. you did not have a mask on. Ah. Yes, sir. It's $1,000. They're not playing out there in Texas. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, but what about how do how do the lines fall down in terms of how how do people approach the virus, man? I mean, if they're not enforcing the mass mandate, you don't want to pass judgment on anyone, right? Yeah. Because every state is like a, a miniature country, and their own governors they're like presidents. You know, fifty presidents across the country, right? And everybody could run their respective states differently. So what would you say is the mix out there in texas and houston in particular are y'all for the mass mandate overall or mid fair to midland you know what i'm yeah. saying where, where, what's the stand what's the divine now, line i will tell you if we looking at 100 uh maybe 60 40 against the mandate okay yeah okay. 60 40 against uh and, and that's the thing of, um, you know, now that so many people who are against it have had people who have contracted it uh, simply because they have not been vaccinated or not been uh, covered up or any kind of precautions. Uh, they've started mm -hmm. to change their mind about it. 
Uh, but I will tell you, uh, the overall census, uh, man, you go down here and it is awkward. Uh, like I was saying, I, I came down mm. to California um, and when I went into the buildings, you know, of course, I'm Texas, so we don't have to have a mask. I'm freestyling. I'm triple vaxxed up. Uh, but okay. but um, but I would get there and they would they would everybody would have a mask on. it. So then, you know, you got to do as in Rome, you know, mm -hmm. and so uh, you had to get yourself together. But but down here in Texas, totally different, man. And um, that that's kind of been the way through school, you know, like, you know, you think about the closeness of that building, but you cannot mandate uh, that kids wear a mask in school. Or their teachers wear a mask. And so we're still just going around. Still just going around. So how would you say the containment of the virus is down there in Texas where you are? Since schools have been open and masks are not being mandated, what's been the infection rate? Uh, you don't have to be specific because I, yeah. I know that, that that's kind of confidential in terms of, you know, specific mm -hmm. school site or whatever. But generally speaking, um, how safe have the kids been? In, in Texas? What were your thoughts? As, as a district, uh, you know, that first coming back, and from the summer, when I tell you those first few weeks for our district mm -hmm. was rough, brother. Uh, I, I want to say at least a good month. Um, you know, I, I say for my school, we talking 60 teachers uh, and 18 to 19 of them being out on one day. 18 to 19 being out on one day. One day. And that's with no subs. So then you think about Ooh. your ILT people that have to cover, you know, you think about trying, you can't put the kids together because that's what the problem is. So, yeah, uh, man, Break it down, was really, what, yeah. What's ILT? Uh, oh, that's a uh, instructional leadership team. Got it. So you think I got all my specialists and my content people who should be in classes helping teachers. They're in classes teaching. What? Yeah. And what's going to happen when they deplete the, the the supply of substitute teachers? How how much have they had to step in? Uh, they also sir, we, we, I ain't going to lie to you, man. We have not had really any substitute teachers, man. Really? Like, yeah, man, it's been far and few in between. Uh, I could think about, uh, we got three, maybe, that's been in the building this entire year. Because we had that, that heavy, heavy hit. And then yeah. we we kind of drowned out, and it's been so quiet, man. We're talking zero cases, uh, at least for me personally, zero cases from about October to January, mm -hmm. December. That week before December, mm -hmm. oh, man, it got crazy. And so we, we're going back through it. Whenever we, you know, elementary, it's like if mom says let's go, babies are gone. And then mom right. catches it, kid got it, they come into the school. And that's what we've been getting, brother. It's back. Any way for you to tell uh, how well kids are keeping up? Are they generally at grade level or have the teachers had to sort of adjust their curriculums to, you know, contend with the, the way the, the virus has impacted the instructional pace of teaching? Mm -hmm. uh, man, I will tell you, I am a first grade uh, supervisor. And, you know, in first grade, that's where that foundation is laid. Oh, yeah. And and so, you know, you think about those kids who the last two years have been going through it, who maybe didn't go to pre-K. Right. They maybe were online uh, during elementary or mm. maybe they just, I mean, during kindergarten or maybe they just didn't go to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that's what we're dealing with uh, in first and second grade uh, students who really missed the boat. Uh, and I will tell you, man, it's a high majority of students oh, that are um that are either one or two years behind like a high high majority now the ones that are up are the ones who just simply got it 
You know, yeah. like you, you uh, you know, you're intrigued, uh, you yearn for it, so your household is pushing it. Yeah, uh, those that didn't skip a beat, they are able to be uh pulled along. But majority of the kids who were um, parents did not value that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like you just whatever you can get, or either don't worry about school right now. They they're mm -hmm. struggling, Roman. That's a lot of kids. Oh, I'm boy. telling you. That's a lot, huh? And how about the kids who it, you had already previous? I mean, since you supervised first grade, it'll be interesting to know uh, the degree to which, you know, some of those social emotional factors would start to emerge, you know, even in those little ones, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah, they, they um, I, I will say it's starting to calm down now, but as kids were coming back in the building, uh, for some reason, man, they were so aggressive, right? Um, and you know, you think about our community. Maybe you you be getting in trouble. You be getting that that that, that hey, be getting that little tap up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so so mm -hmm. now all you've been seeing is hidden. Or maybe since we quarantined, all you've seen is mom and dad arguing. And so when we came back mm -hmm. in, man, we had to do so many social skills uh, lessons, uh, so many mm -hmm. things, or restorative lessons, where where we just had to rebuild relationships between teachers, between uh, students and students. Uh, just so much, man. So it's already kicking in that social emotional part. Oh man! And what about students who have already been identified? Uh, for special education and those that were probably on the brink already of yeah. a referral. Again, uh, your little ones that you supervise, they they missed all of that. If they yeah. are just in first grade, you yeah. know, they missed pre-K, right? You know, they, they were learning at home, you know, for yeah. a portion of it, at least. So uh, what can you tell us the, the state of students who are in special education? Any change in the level of their progress that you can yeah. talk about? Um, uh, it was still a little, but but more for them, um, the students, you know, the students who were logged in to their general ed class were able to log in for those services uh, if they were out, right? And so mm -hmm. um, they kept them going. You're still seeing a little regression for the simple fact of um, if you identified, I know I need to be there with your accommodations, pointing, pushing, reminding, prompting, ETC. But uh, so, you know, there was a little lag and regression for that. But most of those kids, uh, because that population in my school was so small, we had a great relationship. And so as soon as school opened, we were intentional about having the special ed team reach out to those students and to tell them that we need you back. You know, Ooh, so so that's man. that's the way we started with that one, trying to hammer it down uh, mm. and really start to uh, bend that curve uh, from last year. That's fabulous, man. Uh, can you yes, tell sir. us a little bit more about those restorative circles that you you worked with your staff on, and and in what way do you feel like it enabled students to sort of get in touch and in tune with some of the the frustrations or the anxiety that yes. they were experiencing? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, one of the biggest pieces of that was simply going back to the old school relationship building. Mm. Uh, you know, you're thinking about. Um, them coming, the anxiety, the fear of just not understanding really what's going on and how do they act it out? Mm -hmm. You know, it's definitely not coming and having a conversation about it. So yeah. then we had to kind of build those circles up, create that empathy within inside of that class uh, to one, make those kids vulnerable to talk, but then two, to just help them be comfortable uh, in yeah. understanding that everybody feels the same way. Wow. Um, so so that was some of the things we did. Uh, other than that, uh, when it came down to the aggression, you know, just mm -hmm. just now teaching kids 
Because a lot of those kids who were aggressive, you know, that once again, they're not having those conversations because they don't know how. So then we creating that circle within those students, student to student to say, hey, um, how did you feel when this happened? You know, those questions that you asked them. Uh, but also now let's talk about how do we go forward and really building that relationship, building that conversation and that empathy between those two students. Because I'm telling mm. you, having that conversation was so hard. Um, mm. um, I, I look at how we set it up for affirmations inside of those circles. And when I tell you, uh, I know it's hard for adults, but a kid and just accepting a compliment, oh my God. Really? Teaching those skills with inside those circles was so hard, man. Wow. And yeah, something man. just came to mind the last time you were here, I think you told me the story about a little boy that you saw who was running, I think he just fell and just bumped his knee or head real hard. And you said he wanted to cry, but he forced himself not to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's uh, I think we may have been talking about just the, the, uh, the roles or, or mm. that emotional intelligence or something. Yeah. 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 And getting yeah. kids to get in touch to say, it's okay to, to, you know, you feel the, you feel something, you feel the pain, but this yeah. is how you can constructively express it so that you don't become a combustible agent uh, that'll, you know, be and do harm to others around you. So, yeah, you know, your circles have been teaching kids how to, you know, get in touch with this as a form of a healthy self-intervention for themselves. And you said yes. having those conversations was was hard. What was so hard about it? It's because they it was a foreign uh, concept to them. Obviously, yeah. they're, they're really yeah. young. But yeah, go ahead. You Tell know, me about that. <clears throat> um, I can't remember the. I think it was Janae Aiko or something. Uh, mm. She said, "We give love, but we don't know how to take it." Oh, okay. right. And so um, just having those students, man, being able to they can always say, well, I like your such and such or you look such and such today. But when somebody tell them, what do you do? How, and like I say, it's hard for adults. So 20, mm -hmm. 30 years later, we have a master that skill. Uh, so just teaching kids that to how to say thank you uh, and keep moving on. Not all oh, but you or nah, not really, but just thank you. Mm. and then keep going with your day. And so those are the type of skills uh, that we're trying to do, man, and creating that empathy and creating them how to just accept love. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, as a man, man, sometimes I, I've sabotaged relationships because I had to learn how to accept love the same uh, as I gave. Come on now. Come on yes, now. Yeah, we got yes, to have you back to talk deeper even about that. But, you know, as, as a veteran educator, as yourself, what would you say... Because I've had a thought about this myself doing the kind of work that I do. What's the best part about being an administrator during this time? Because we've been talking about kids, but all those teachers being out, you've had to really step up and sort of be a, a father figure of sorts or a mentor at the least to teachers. And what about those first year teachers, second year teachers who are just coming into the profession and they're coming in during a time of this virus and you're their administrator, man. What, what What's the best part about being an administrator during these times? Yeah, just uh, going home feeling like today I was a true leader, yes, right? Um, you know, having to make those decisions um, about what to do with, with kids in the moment, about what to do with classes, with coverages, um, you know, making sure that we keep the kids safe. And sometimes that means even being okay with having hard, necessary conversations, right? Mm. But all of those parts go into um, just coming home, man, and feeling like, okay, today was a good day because mm. I was able to make a difference and I could see it in this or see it in these pieces. So yeah. that's been the hardest, I mean, the, the most rewarding part of this because 
everything with this is so immediate. It's so fast changing that you really mm -hmm. have to be abreast of what's going on, but then you have to prioritize and act. And wow. so being able to do those pieces, man, and, and understanding that this helped keep somebody safe today. Yeah. Man, you go home feeling good, bro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because it's like you're kind of doing emergency triage on the spot just about every day. Every day? Um, every interaction you have with kids <laughs> is almost a crisis intervention to make sure that they're safe. You know? Yeah, man. So, That's it. Uh, you, what about the the spirit of the teachers? Are do, have have there been moments? I'm sure there have, but mm -hmm. um, but this is Texas, so I don't know. I'm I don't want to mm -hmm. assume. What what have been the more challenging moments around teachers? Have their have their spirits ever been tested? Have they ever felt broken? Have they oh, ever felt yeah. defeated, defeated, and just hopeless that we're never going to get out of this? What what's been the line around that? Ooh, in the beginning of that pandemic, wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I don't know if y'all did it, but once we got back to school. Teachers now had to do hybrid classrooms. Yes, we did that. Oh, mm -hmm. Yes. And so um, that was one point of just giving up mentally. I'm gone. But we pushed through. We made it to the end of the year. And so we coming back now is not necessarily the hybrid situation stress, but mm -hmm. now it's the um, like the world is going forward. But we still got kids two years behind. Ooh. And so then if your heart and your soul is into this mm -hmm. and um you know, all outside pressures expecting this kid to move such and such, you trying to figure out how you can get that kid there to their standards uh, versus to the standards of where you want to feel they can grow, which may be six months, 12 months down the line. You're not just going to catch up. Uh, so that has been really testing the teachers mm -hmm. as far as, um, you know, I, I think about my third grade teachers. Third grade teachers don't know how to come back and pull a kid up from first grade. That's a whole different skill set that you got to have. Oh, yeah. You know, first grade, uh, fourth grade teachers don't know how to go back and teach first grade skills where you still buh, buh, buh. And hey, by fourth grade, we we, we teaching you now, you reading to learn versus yeah. learning to read. That's right. You know, so so that's a different kind of stress that they're being pulled into. Uh, and it's hard really for me because, um, you know, you think about morale building and you think about what can we do. Yeah. And a lot of times, it's not allowed. You know, we, we just was having a, getting ready to have a war ceremony where the teachers like to come in and celebrate the students and, and we bring in the mascot, have fun, canceled. Uh, we had some retirement parties where we were all going to get together, kind of mm -hmm. talk amongst each other and just do things other than teaching, uh, canceled. Wow. You know, so so those pieces, man, it, it gets um, but why? It's hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it, but why were because you guys have looser re, or different restrictions? So why yeah. were those events canceled? There was still a concern about the spread of the virus. Yeah, I told you it's back. It's back, right? So oh, we, we yeah, talking sir. about um, yeah, 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 man, we talking about uh, five, six cases one day. You know, we talking about three teachers on a grade level gone, gone. You gone. know, so uh, so while it's a shorter five days, we still it's still in the building. So and uh, we we just. I'll tell you, man, that first uh, first nine weeks uh, when I went through that is trauma. The whole time I was out wow. for Christmas break looking at those numbers going up, I'm mm -hmm. thinking, oh, Lord, it's about to happen. When we oh, did Lord. that, yeah, it's going yeah. down. <laughs> All right, you were just anticipating what that would be like. Man, well, I sure appreciate that. One last thing, because we talked about students, we talked about teachers, we talked about administrators. Uh, education is thought to be sort of a thankless profession sometimes because sometimes the parents can come in with their own level of stress and trauma and angst about what's happening with their child. What can you tell us about how parents have been uh, responding to your staff 
and the, the needs of their children in your community as best they can. Uh, what's been the experience around parent involvement? Man, about 50-50. Uh, okay. You know, you still got some parents that are, are really still afraid of the virus, so they've been trying to uh, keep the students home, um, you know, because we started a virtual academy, but a lot of kids aren't, aren't qualifying for that unless it's life-threatening almost. Mm. Um so you know they understanding about now no parent communication i mean no parents coming up to the school they've been okay with that um at home it's still been a struggle though man um yeah you know because they just don't know what to do right. like they don't know if i need to do stuff at home or or, or how you're doing the homework so it's really been hard man we we just had we were setting up a coffee with the principals what i call our open forum nights with parents uh but once again canceled right so wow. uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just been real, man. We usually would have a full parent center by now, uh, mm -hmm. but we, we weren't able to. Uh -huh. uh, but just, uh, yeah, man, it's just been real. The ones that want to help, they're there, but we still can't do anything. Wow. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, his name is Mr. Kendrick Thomas. He's an administrator out of Texas, doing the doggone thing, fighting the fight on the front line, yes, sir. Uh, seeing after those babies out there and doing everything he can to help us get through this doggone virus. Mr. Thomas, I sure appreciate you, man. What's the best way for people to keep in contact with you and uh, find KTTV? What can you tell us, good brother? Yes, sir. If you will go to KTTV.com, that's KTTEEV.com. Uh, so much on there, man. That will take you to the social media. Uh, we're giving away a two aircraft, two hotel free trip for simply coming in and checking us out. Oh, uh, man, just so much going on. We got community events popping. So get there, look at the events, look at what's happening and keep up with KT, man. Oh, we sure will, man. Thank you so much. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was the good brother, Mr. Kendrick Thomas. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. This is Dr. Amanda Rankin of Thrive Psychological Services in Chicago, Illinois, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. They call me Lupe, I'll be your new day. They want to smell like me, they want my bouquet, but they can't, they accent it like the Turn that Uday Lupe to Pepe Lepew spray Flagrantly fragrant and they can't escape it My perfume pursued them everywhere that they went You don't want a lonely Macalone alone It's a little too strong for you to be putting on Trust me, I say this justly I went from musty to musky and y'all can't mush me I warn y'all cornballs, I hush puppies The swans in the pond call my duck ugly But now they hug me because it's lovely They love the aroma of aroma of the world Got the shake and the skaters and the players and the girls keep the fakers and the flakers and the haters in the twirl. You want the fever, oh. huh? Hey, I gotcha. You want the realness? Well, I gotcha. I know you're sick of them niggas, been coming, watch ya. Either they pimps or they max or they mobsters. You want the real shit? Oh, I gotcha. You see my niggas here? You know we proper. You know we do it. Ride, 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 ride. You know we do it. 
and I'm from Chi-Town. That's why I flies round. Keep some Cartier frames over my eyes now. We used to gangbang a lot of that, then die down. Children of the hat tilting, keeping hope alive now. All with no high, I do it so fly. Banksy's attack, helicopter with the bow tie. I love my city, really hope that God bless it. Have my mind moving faster than that hog in the hedges. Welcome all of y'all to my dark recesses. This is where I keep the bars like bathtub edges. My ivories and my doves, my levers and my zesses. It takes half of your bubble bath to match the freshness. The belly of the beast, you know I'm from it. I wrap it in a towel, hit on my pal in the stomach. And I be on my green like Irish spring. Then I coast fudge with it, get a mouthful of soap. You want the me? Hey, I got ya. You want the realness? Well, I got ya. I know you're sick of them niggas, been covering watch ya. Either they pimps or they max or they mobsters. You want the real shit? Oh, I got ya. You see my niggas here? You know we proper. You know we do it. Ride, 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 ride. And so to sign off, this beat I rhyme off It's from Thelonious P and Hugo, my boss You feel it in the air, it's such a fine force But you don't hear me though, just like a mom's talk That's cause I'm in Europe, me and my French tourer I'm on my pimp, my temperature is tempura I take it easy on my watch, I'm watching TV And my cleanest, my Harishi, see the hair is trying to beat me I continue to do lose pace Them say him got two heads and four eyes Just like screw face But see my secret safe, it's in my secret safe That's in my secret Secret room on my secret base. So from the runner of the FNF crew, come in hip hop. We've come to resurrect you, 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 you. You want the fame, Hey, I got ya. You want the realness? Well, I got ya. I know you're sick of them niggas, been covering watch ya. Either they pips or they max or they mobsters. You want the real shit? Oh, I got ya. You see my niggas here? You know we proper. You know we do it. Yes, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Home School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, as we've been sharing on this broadcast, we've been experiencing a surge in coronavirus cases in the form of Omicron. And it has created such a surge to such an extent that some school districts have been faced once again with some very difficult choices. One district in particular in the Midwest of the country, the Chicago Public School Systems, uh, they have elected to close down. Now, at the time of this interview, uh, they are still not committed to returning to school, though some teachers have come back. Uh, slowly and surely, some of them have walked back into the classroom. But the battle wages on in terms of the appropriateness of the CTU, that's the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, deciding to not participate in in-person instruction. What impact is that having on the community? How do the parents feel about that? Uh, what are the mental health implications of that? And what are the implications for long-term learning? Well, I'm happy to have a panel here that will hopefully help me dispel some of the myths around this. And uh, we have some amazing guests here. Two are here for the very first time. And first, I'm gonna bring back our returning champ. This amazing lady is director of her own private practice. And uh, she's been here multiple times. She was not quite a mom at the time she was here last time, but now she's got a beautiful seven month old. So I'm really happy that she's here again. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Dr. Amanda Rankin. Dr. Rankin, are you there? 
I am here. Hello, everybody. What's going on, Dr. Rankin? Well, I cannot thank you enough for being here. You are in Chicago, so I couldn't think of any greater person to have on for this engaging discussion. You have a couple of guests with you. I was hoping you could introduce us to help us get the conversation going. Can you tell us who you brought with us this time? Absolutely. I have two amazing women here with me. Uh, first, uh, Amina Dumbia. She's a school social worker and uh, just, I, I believe she'll have amazing things to contribute um, to the conversation as a parent and as uh, a part of the school system. Yes, welcome Amina. And uh, we also have Akilah McCord, um, also a native Chicagoan working for a not-for-profit here in the community um, close to this issue, uh, just because she also has kids within uh, CPS, as well as um, professionally connected uh, to the school and the community. Okay. So thank you for being here too, Akila. Yes, welcome aboard, Akila. Thank you, ladies. Well, uh, Dr. Rankin, let me start with you before I turn it over to the ladies. How do you see this issue playing out in your region? Um, what can you tell us about the impact so far this is having in the earliest stages of 2022 already? Dr. Rankin, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's had huge implications and I think it will continue to do so. Uh, like psych psychologically, there's just a lot that I think of that's more general than I think uh, the rest of the panel will be able to contribute. But just uh, thinking about the overall safety and vulnerability um, of children and parents, uh, just those who are already stressed um, and having children kind of come back to these high stress environments that are overtaxed with financial stress, thinking about yes. childcare, missed work, um, spouses, you know, um, spending mm. a lot more time uh, with each other and uh, sometimes the results in stress of that, having to be teachers, having to be tutors, the social yeah. isolation. Uh, so I know those are things that uh, I think about and the things that I uh, try to weigh as I hear um, you know, CPS and CTU kind of go back and forth with uh, the mayor on these issues. Yeah, absolutely. So Akila, stand by. I definitely want to get your take in just a second. Let's go over to Amina. Amina is a school social worker. From your vantage point, you're able to see this from an educational and a sort of a, a social macro uh, lens as well. I just made that term up. But uh, from your standpoint, Amina, uh, what do you see? How do you see this playing out in your realm? Yeah, it's complicated. Um, I am it's complicated, a folks. Worker. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes, it, it's it, it has a lot of layers. Um, mm -hmm. I also have a child who's a kindergarten kindergartner in CPS, so I understand um, that parents are really having to scramble um, and figure out where their kids are going to be during the day while we're dealing with the surge and having to deal with CPS being closed. However, from the perspective of being an employee in a school, I completely understand why the need to close was there. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very much still a split issue. Like you mentioned, a lot of teachers are still out. They're refusing to go back in the building. 
but CPS is not allowing them to teach from home. Um, so CPS has basically said, we'd rather students learn nothing during this time yeah. and have no support during this time rather than remote support. Um, for my charter school, which is only two schools, so it's a very small um, organization, but we are remote um, for the time being and oh, okay. allowed to provide yeah, services remotely to our students. And the building has remained open um, for those parents that really don't have another option. Okay. Um, and we have quite a few of our um, teachers, paraprofessionals, security members in the building to support students there. So um, I think that we've just had to kind of uh, pivot into this new normal where we have to you know, be ready to make changes at the drop of a dime, unfortunately. Oh yeah, yeah, they have dropped dime and parents were forced to scramble to kind of figure things out. And that that's not an easy adjustment to make on the fly. So Akilah McCord, you also have children in CPS and parents have actually sued the, uh, the teachers union uh, because a good portion of them don't want their kids to be forced into this distance learning model again. So from your vantage point, Akilah McCord, what are your thoughts on all this? How does it play out from your vantage point? Um, well, for me, um it's it's double fold um, as an, a person that is an external partner uh, with Chicago Public Schools, meaning that my organization provides supplemental programming to a plethora of schools on the south side um, and uh, having to pause. Uh, instruction having to pause impact it, it always is staggering when you try to um, regain that rhythm. But in terms of my own children, you know, I have a junior uh, that attends a DeVry Dual Academy, which is on the north side. Um, their planning was stellar in terms of what they knew was uh, getting ready to happen. Uh, there, there may be a struggle between CTU and CPS. So let me prepare you for this. Right. And they were able to provide um, a different level of attention to what's going on, as opposed to my son, who is on the South side attending elementary school. Um, and he's an eighth grader. Um, and mm -hmm. it wasn't as thorough, thoroughly, you know, rolled out. It was very abrupt and everyone isn't in the, the, um, position to be able to uh, stop doing what they're doing and, 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 you know, just reposition themselves to be at home. Right. What I do find uh, to be rather uh, just, just, I, I'm baffled by it is that the, the children are, are the casualties here. They're collateral damage, right? right? Um, at the end of the day, safety should always be first. Mm -hmm. um, and if this new variant um, is moving at the speed of light um, for both the vaccinated and unvaccinated, and there are children in the school system that are not eligible for vaccinations, and there's so many parameters in place for Chicagoans, um, you know, the, the, I don't believe that the CTU intended to cancel classes or just go back to remote learning. There were specific things that were requested um, that they were not seeing, which caused them to take that necessary step um, for their safety and for the safety of the children. Personally, um, as a parent, I've had uh, many instances where I've received emails uh, that my son was in close uh, proximity to someone that tested positive. Every other you know, week or so, I was getting one of those emails. And what that told me was that 
things were moving at the speed of light and there was a lot of adjusting that we as a community weren't able to do quickly. So of course, you Mm -hmm. know, the organization of school may not be able to abruptly make those necessary changes. And as I look at other communities like Wilmette, Skokie, the private school sector, and some of the charter schools, they've already made these transitions. They've already made these transitions to say, hey, you know, let's just, you know, put January on pause. Let's go to remote learning. Let's let this calm down. Let's get a handle on it. And then let's reintroduce um, in-person learning. You know, I was watching the news the other day and a Northwestern professor stated the same thing. So if the children are really the focus here, and teachers are really wanting to uh, continue learning, I don't see a reason why there is a cancellation of school, that there is an, an, uh, an intent to deny youth uh, progression, especially, you know, knowing where they've come since 2020. Um, my son is an eighth grader, and his last year of, you know, true traditional school was fifth grade and he's about to enter high school uh-huh. uh-huh are we really prepared you know when you mentioned long-term effects from a macro and micro level we haven't even begun to touch the surface of the damage that is um going to be lasting you know thank God, you know, my husband and I are educators and we're able to really kind of uh, pivot during this time. But so many others um, are are not at that level and are really feeling the effects of this long term. Yeah. The politics of this, does it fuel optimism at this stage of it? Just barely Mm. starting 2022 or does it fuel more pessimism that this ain't going nowhere for, for, for a long time to come? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that it's a grim reality that we've all um, just, you know, reluctantly have begun to accept um, that this is just going to be around for a while. Um, What I wanted to say um, in in terms of just where we are with morale as a a community, as a people, uh, this is the most uh, division that I've ever seen amongst people in my entire life. Me too. And of, of course, you know, I wasn't here for what my mother and grandmother had to go through and things of that nature. However, in my 40 years, I mm-hmm. have never seen this amount of divisiveness. I think America did a poor job of introducing the vaccine. Um, mm-hmm. For the first time in history, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the lack of efficiency or efficacy of the vaccine um, is being blamed on those that don't take it or that haven't taken it yet or that mm-hmm. are not complete with their um, mm-hmm. process of the vaccination. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's causing um, such an ugly reality that we're living in. You know, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's causing um, separation and division in families. Um, it's preventing people you know, from having their own choices, you know, uh, people are being forced into doing things without doing their proper research. Um, It's a, it's a, a a plethora of things um, that really makes me as a human being sad. 
as a mm-hmm. as a human being i'm like is this earth <laughs> is this really the world that well, we were let's born talk into? about it yeah well this, yeah it is earth right now so let, let's just talk about it i mean i know we're, we're close on time but let, let's let, let's break it on down but this is kcwg the truth.com's program is called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome uh that was akila mccord she's a parent and an executive director of a nonprofit organization in chicago we're also blessed to have amina Ooh, say your last name for me amina dumbia Oh my God. Dumbia. Dumbia. Ah, school social worker out of Chicago. And we also have, of course, uh, the inimitable Dr. Amanda Rankin, clinical psychotherapist, also out of Chicago. Uh, Amanda, Amina, Akila just kind of led us into this. The the term that came to mind was compassion fatigue because I haven't seen this level of divisiveness divisiveness of this kind, you know, even amongst people that may have voted for a particular candidate or a particular political party, there's divisions and striations even within that faction when it comes down to this shot and this vaccine thing. And so uh, Amina and Amanda, and I'll come back to you, Akila, can we talk a little bit about compassion fatigue? Has that kind of eroded the sense of community and the sense of uh, respect that we have for people to be able to have the freedom to make their individual choices without uh, having to be subjected to uh, condemnation or being cast away. I mean, Dr. Rankin said, you know, you can't even go certain places in Chicago unless you could prove you're vaccinated. Um, Can you talk about compassion fatigue a little bit? Uh, Let's go to Amina first and then Dr. Rankin. Amina, what are your thoughts? Sure. I haven't hit that um, benchmark yet. <laughs> I'm not exhausted. Not, not okay. exhausted yet. Okay. Um, I come from a family. I told a coworker the other day, I said, if my family wasn't Black, they would be Trump supporters. They are very anti-vax. They are very traditional. Mm-hmm. I'm the only vaccinated person in my family mm-hmm. um, amongst my siblings and my parents. So um I haven't hit that point yet where I'm exhausted with having compassion with people and allowing people to make decisions that they feel comfortable with. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, when I'm out in the world or when I'm out um, at work, I really, I really am trying to um, maintain compassion for people, but it's difficult when you know you have, have such a higher um, rate of transmission with people that are not vaccinated it really can become really exhausting and I think that Chicago for the most part is pretty Mm pro-vaccination um and so even I'll say at my own charter school I believe for staff we're at like 97 percent vaccinated so it's pretty I think uncommon in some circles that you're even coming into contact with many people that are unvaxxed Um, But I still really try to maintain um, compassion for people and understanding um, that we're, you know, very early in this thing and not um, feeling like people have to make the same decision that I've made for myself. Yeah. And uh, I hear you. And I do. (laughs) It it is hard because I'm wondering, um, have you have any uh, Well, Dr. Mingan Rankin, I'm coming to you in just a sec, but have any of you lost anyone to COVID? I haven't. Akila? I have not. Amanda? But I have had individuals in my family um, that have tested positive, um, and they have generally been um, mild cases, thank God. Thank God. How about you, Amanda? Uh, Yeah, I've actually uh, lost a couple people. Mm -hmm. Um, Complications probably closest to me. Uh, 
an aunt, uh, my father's sister. Mm, sorry about that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's difficult. Well, um, it, it, it hits different, right? I mean, I lost somebody. I was telling uh, another panelist in another segment. It's like early on when we really didn't know what was going on, uh, way back in March of 2020, when this thing really first hit, uh, I lost a friend who was in Detroit because it was hitting so hard out there, they didn't know what was going on at the time. And it was very scary. So uh, my condolences for your loss, uh, Dr. Rankin. So picking up where Amina left off in terms of compassion fatigue, does, does that hit you a certain kind of way when you think about uh, the issue of vaccination and what's happening in Chicago right now? Well, I, I, not to sidestep the question at all, but in, in, in being, um, mental health care workers, being a psychologist. Like I, sure. I also think of confidentiality yes. and like that lens, um, I don't know, I, it helps, it definitely helps me have compassion for those on both sides. Even Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the polarization of opinions because yes. I, I feel like people are very, very um, um, emotional uh, about this and, and people are, um, uh, it, it just, like you said, it kind of hits differently for different people, but, uh, like given the lens of confidentiality, like holding, holding those opinions, holding, uh, their stories, you know, how and why it hits differently for different people. Right. Uh, I, I find that I take that into my personal life as well. We could have this conversation all day. Um, I, I just want to get some final thoughts and we're, I'm going to have to have you ladies come back to sort of get an update on what's happening in the Chicago public school system. I really, really appreciate this nuanced and layered conversation, but can you give me your final thoughts in about 30 seconds, roughly about, um, your sentiments going in again, by the time this airs, there's no telling where this situation will be. Will the teachers be fully, uh, enshrined back into the classroom, um, by the time this airs? Uh, we don't know. I think this is a day to day, moment to moment. I know they're still negotiating with the mayor right now, the CTU that is. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's go to Akila McCord. Do you have any um, thoughts you could share as we uh, close this down as to uh, where this is going? Um, recommendations for parents in the Chicago uh, school system, how to hold out hope and uh, some resources as to which they can reach out to for support. Akila McCord, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Um... I, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful for um, a, a quicker or a sooner rather than later resolve uh, between CTU and CPS. Um, right now, as Amina mentioned, there are uh, opportunities for parents to bring their youth to school. Um, it is not your, your typical drop-off scenario, but they are able to have three meals. They are um, able mm. to have adult supervision um, and they will have work that they can complete unassisted, of course. Um, but this is for the parents that don't have other options in terms of childcare. Um, additionally, uh, there is a program through CPS called Safe Haven and many partnering uh, churches within the community are open from uh, 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. Uh, to provide um, uh, different levels of care to the youth um, by way of tutoring, mentorship, and, and, and overall just having a safe space uh, for the students um, as well as three meals. Um, so these are the um, opportunities or resources that are available um, to Chicago public school parents. Um, I would just say, keep your head up um, in mm. terms of, you know, speaking your truth, um, get involved, oh. ask 
those questions. And uh, last but not least, um, make sure that we still remain respectful and, and mm. have that, that sense of, of humanness that, that we so easily can uh, put on a shelf. Let's, let's, let's adopt that mindset um, so that we can really heal emotionally and mm -hmm. psychologically while we're trying to heal physically. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we all mm -hmm. need to receive that. Thank you, Akila McCord. Amina Dumbia. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, maybe from the macro level, I would really want to see CPS develop some kind of um, really trigger point for what they're willing to accept as far as considering the shutdown schools when we get to this certain number of positivity. And I've been having these conversations with my um, colleagues and saying that, you know, we shut down schools for months when we were at like six or 7% positivity rate and we're at 25 right now. Absolutely. So the, the fact that um, there's just been so much up and down with the positivity rates and that we have not etched anything in stone as to what our plans are when those rates are going up and down um, is just poor planning. So I'm really hoping that that is one thing that comes out of this um, strike really um, that, C that CTU has um, initiated. Um, yeah, and parents, you know, take advantage of the resources that you have. Um, I don't anticipate that this closure will be very long. Um, right. Students will probably be back in the building. Um, after Martin Luther King Day, and hopefully we start mm -hmm. to see some of the rates go down um, nationally at that point as well. Absolutely. And that's the probably the best part, that kids want to be in school. I would guess that yeah. if they were to vote, <laughs> if kids <laughs> had a say in all this adult craziness, they would want to be back in school, right, Amina? Yeah, I think so. They were so excited coming in the building in yes. September. Yeah. Um, so it really is unfortunate that we have to put a pause on it. But like I said, there have been so many cases. I mean, entire classrooms have been quarantined in yeah. the last couple of months. So um, it might be more disruptive to them to keep the schools open rather than close them until we yes. can develop some um, stability. Yeah, well, developing that stability is very important. So Amina, yeah. thank you so much. Dr. Rankin, mm -hmm. I'm gonna come to you. And um, it, it, it's, it's just hard to kind of strike that healthy balance between um, enduring temporary inconveniences, you know, for the greater good and the longer term good. And it, it's hard to strike that happy medium point. But uh, Dr. Rankin, thank you so much for bringing Amina and Akila into the world of Psychotic Bum School. Uh, your final thoughts, your summation of this matter happening with Chicago Public Schools and uh, your level of optimism going forward, Dr. Amanda Rankin. Uh, yeah, I think a final plug uh, or plea have you would be just to consider um, mental health just with, uh, I know uh, for Akila, her son Prince, like he's not really been in school, you know, for almost three years, uh, which is a long time. And with that, like considering mental health and spaces, you know, for children to be able to, um, and not just children, I think children, parents and teachers uh, to, to have space and resources to deal with this issue. It's a pandemic and it's not just yeah. a medical, bio, biological, you know, uh, issue. It's also um, a mental health issue. And I, I don't want that to get lost. Absolutely. Um, in this. Um, so even if there's just ways that individual schools 
or um, you know, Chicago public schools as a whole, uh, can think about you know, ways to address this issue on all fronts. Um, so yeah, I think that would be my final thoughts, but I am hopeful, you know, yeah. that as we continue to work our way through this pandemic, that we can do so together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, just kind of considering it holistically. It's sometimes hard to uh, remember that this isn't just a, a citywide or statewide phenomenon, not even a nationwide phenomenon. This is global. This is happening in many parts of the entire planet, not everywhere, but in many parts of the world, they are experiencing this same exact quandary. Uh, thank you, Dr. Rankin, uh, for joining us. And uh, I hope the three of you can come back again for an update. Um, can you continue to keep in touch? And will you come again and join us again on Psychotic Bum School, Dr. Rankin, Amina, and Akila? Will you? Will you please? Will you? Look at me thirsty. Look at me thirst trapping for his guest from <laughs> Chicago. That's what we do around here. All right. I appreciate y'all. Y'all stay safe. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was Dr. Amanda Rankin, Akila McCord, as well as Amina Dumbia. Stay tuned for more. We're right back after this. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Sidney Poitier played characters who jumped off the screen. <laughs> Opposite Rod Steiger in the heat of the night. Now, where did you earn it? I'm a police officer. Amen. And in the lilies of the field is handyman Homer Smith. Lots of luck, mother. I ain't building no chapel. Yeah, you. The role that won him the first ever lead actor Oscar for an African-American. It is a long journey to this moment. Raised in the Bahamas, he'd moved to Harlem as a teenager and endured the usual hard scrabble climb to an actor's life. Then came No Way Out, the groundbreaking 1950 Joseph Mankiewicz film about racism. You watch yourself, black boy. Watch how you talk to me. Just shut up. Poitier played a doctor. In a performance so powerful, the film was credited with ending British colonial rule in the Bahamas. And the intense 22-year-old performer, Hollywood, had its first African-American screen star. Why you black? Go ahead and say it. A first he would later point out that was too long in coming. If we are 40 million Americans, we certainly ought to have more than one movie star. Maybe I'll get down on my black knees. But he wasn't just a movie star. He was the embodiment of a proud and dignified black point of view in the American conversation about race that accelerated along with the civil rights movement. In 67, he reached Hollywood's mountaintop, its top earning leading man as Virgil Tibbs, righteous enough to slap in return the white politician who'd slapped him. There was a time when I could have had you shot. And in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is Dr. John Prentice, Mom, half of an interracial couple, telling his disapproving father, times have changed. I'm your son. I love you. But you think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. In the 70s, he moved from acting to directing. Some critics said he played the same role too many times. Okay, let's get out of here. And as a director, he was a moneymaker with hits like Stir Crazy and his buddy movies with Bill Cosby. Our whole nation totters on the brink of disaster. But his enduring image is of a man, an actor of principle. No surprise, he would play Mandela. 
A man whose existence among us made racism less palatable, as he noted after receiving a Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Not because I brought so much, because, but because the time was right. Circumstances were right. The time has come. Sidney Poitier, the right man for his time. What could it be that through these courts of years, I swear there stairs a specimen. Smooth the Sydney Poitier, clean cut and dapper. Seems he straight and narrow, tingle in the bone marrow, tingle on my knee apparel. But I ain't that aggressive. Instead, I act suggestive. Bat my eyelashes, make through the subtle passes. Time perfectly with the classic under my dark glasses. I'm mouthing all the words to blue magic. With all due respect, he approached it. Been off of the roach clippers. I respectfully declined to smoke it. Broke it the ice, his demeanor was nice. He tried to freak to my mental hey, yo, it was an yo, his talk was slick. My resume is kind of thick. So let's Baby. blow this scene, girl, and check this flick. And show me why I paid a lot for your average why? click. Why? Recognize paid a lot, about to lock this shit. All my time, it could be spent yeah. with you. Okay. So what you gonna do? What? Make like sure what? your candy yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on. Sit on my time. Okay, we are back. KCWGTheTruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, the world of film and television has lost one of its preeminent lions of cinema. Mr. Sidney Poitier made his transition, ladies and gentlemen, and the world of film and television has been reeling ever since. He was a groundbreaking presence in the cinematic arts and i wanted to have a moment to pay his proper respects so to help me do that there was only one person that came to mind and one person only y'all know this good sister this sister's been here before it's been a little while the last time she was here i think we were interviewing or excuse me we were reviewing some jordan peele it's it's I been a little so. minute yeah, it's been a minute so i am really happy she's here uh she's formerly a writer for billboard magazine she currently reviews films she has her very own podcast that i want her to refresh the audience about so it's an honor to have her here so ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome back to psychotic bumps go our good sister miss janine coveney Ms. oh coveney, my goodness hey oh my goodness rome so so thankful to be here with you thank you for that wonderful introduction and um, oh. yeah, this this is a, a tough time because we're losing yeah. a lot of lions, a lot of trailblazers. Wow. And yeah, this one really hit me um, hard to the point where, mm. you know, I, my podcast, my monthly podcast is called Words on Flicks. There you go. Um, you know, uh, where I just talk casually about different movies and review them and different topics. And I haven't even really been able to process this in words because I feel like this is a major loss. Mm. Um, Sidney Poitier's loss, um, he's 94. He was 94 years old. He lived a very long life. So we cannot bemoan the fact that he's gone. He lived the life that he wanted to live. And yes. he really blazed a trail. Mm. Um this is a loss not only to the Hollywood community, but to the Black community as a whole, and to, to history, to American history. He, he was not just an actor. He mm. was a trailblazer on many fronts, including the arts, um, social justice, civil rights, um, and just his comportment, his general comportment as a black man meant so much to so many. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think that's why this is this is such a loss, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about yeah. his comportment, because it's something about his uh, comportment, as you put it, that gave him such a, a regal presence um, in the world of film and just in society. Can you talk to us about who this man was of Bahamian descent, uh, American citizen, because he was born in uh, Miami, incidentally. But what was it about him that gave him such uh, regard among the film and television industry? I think because he had that inner backbone. I don't know if that came from his West Indian back, uh, upbringing, you know, that work ethic. He worked in his family's tomato farm. He knew what it was like to work. He decided when he was sent to an older brother in Miami, he, he just was confronted with segregation um, in the South, and he decided that he didn't want to deal with that. He was going to go north to New York. So he arrived in New York, still relatively young, but he had that work ethic whereby he worked a lot of odd jobs. Um, he determined to to improve his accent, his Bahamian accent. He improved his reading with help from a coworker at a restaurant who helped him with his reading comprehension. He just really mm. had that drive. And I don't know what, what made him, like you see that spine of steel that he has, that he, he was not going to bow his head in anything he did, even in how he walked and how yes. he stood it, like when you first see Sydney on film, like even like the first 10 years of his filmography, um, until it, it just seemed like a rare thing to even see him smile or laugh because he, mm. he had that stoic, um, dignified way about him and that elegance that kind of yes. dared anyone to to disrespect him. And I think that was really, really really important mm. for who he was on film. And I have so many film favorites. And I mean, of course, we do see him smile and laugh. Like mm -hmm. the, um, the Oscar that he got for Lilies of the Field in 1963, he, you know, he, he's joking with the nuns. He teaches them to sing. He, you know, he, he keeps telling them he doesn't want to work with them. And then he gets drawn in. But mm. he never loses his dignity. And we understand that he's not just a Black man. He's a man in America. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And talk to us about some of those roles that he did get. Because as a, a brother with, you know, golden bronze, dark skin, uh, the difficulty, the degree of difficulty of breaking into an industry that was not terribly kind uh, to people of that hue in general. But he somehow found a way, uh, partially due, of course, to that perseverance that you're talking about. Uh, you talked about Lilies of the Field. Uh, talk about some of his other films. You talked about those first uh, few years of his career where he didn't smile a lot, but he had a purpose and you could see it and sense it. Uh, what can you tell us about some of your other uh, film favorites by Sidney Poitier? Yeah, um, I, I think the reason why he was so important also is because of his appearance. You know, he, he mm. was tall, he was dark, he was handsome, he was like unassailable and, and unapologetically black. And mm -hmm. he internalized that because he did not want to play um, 
you know, the, the slaves, the domestics, the criminals, the indigents that um, Hollywood had made so many black folks play um, from the thirties onward. Um, he was like the thinking man's brother, you know, even as he struggles in A Raisin in the Sun, which is one of my favorite um, films of his, you see he's a black man struggling against um, societies wanting to keep him in a box. And, you know, he drinks and, you know, it seems like he throws away money and he has, you know, children and a son and another one on the way. But we empathize with that struggle because he's still holding his head up. You know, he yes. had a dignified walk. Um, of course, 1967 was his year. The slap heard around the world in, in the heat of the night <laughs> when um, he is working with a Southern bigoted sheriff to solve a murder. And the folks down in this town are not used to seeing a so-called quote-unquote uppity Negro, mm. you know, from Philadelphia um, who is equal and, and more to them. So, mm -hmm. you know, when the man that he's interviewing slaps him for like back-talking him or whatever, Sydney slaps back. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And he, he's not ranting, he's not raving, he's not throwing punches, but he's like, I am not lying down for this. You know, mm -hmm. we're equal. And that slap was whew, <laughs> really important. And he fought to keep it in the, in the script. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He Good felt it him. was really important. There's also a film called, um, what is it called? 1950 when he was still kind of um, mm. amassing different roles. It's a movie called Band of Angels that I don't know that a lot of people has, have mm. seen, okay. but it's set in the, I want to say the 1800s in New Orleans, and he plays a former slave. Mm. And um, the story is about a, a woman, a white woman who, un, who finds out that she has black ancestry and she is disinherited. And mm -hmm. it's a really interesting film because he portrays a former slave who can read, who has agency in 1800s New Orleans. And it, it, it's a really interesting role because he's not like the other black folks around him in this film. Mm -hmm. um, again, He's a brother with education and dignity in, in a film where other Blacks of the time do not have that. Yes. Um, I love him in The Defiant Ones, yes. where he's an escaped convict chained mm. to Tony Curtis. Woo! <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. Because you know what? Because I, I never, I'm, I'm full transparency. I haven't seen very many Sidney Poitier films, but I saw a remake of that with Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed and Rocky. And I can't remember who his counterpart was in The Defiant Ones, the remake. But talk to mm -hmm. us about this uh, original with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier, because that was a very powerful moment. This, this movie was extremely powerful because you have a situation where a rabid racist is chained to a Black man, and they have to depend on each other to survive. And Tony Curtis, as this character, he's constantly um, insulting 
uh, Sidney Poitier's character, but you know, they have to run through the swamp. They have to jump on a train together. They have to um, mm -hmm. get food. And finally they come to a cabin where there is a, a white woman who's willing to help them. She, she gets the chains off of them so they can go their separate ways. Um, Tony Curtis starts an incipient romance with this woman and Tony Curtis comes to understand that the white woman is going to give uh, Sidney Poitier up, help get him trapped. Like she, she gives him the wrong directions to run away. Yes. She tells it right. So mm -hmm. um, when Tony Curtis finds this out, you see that that's a turning point. He has come to understand this man and his struggles. He does not want him to get caught, and you see that moment where his own humanity comes out. And it's because of his proximity to Sidney Poitier and learning so much about him and understanding who he is. And again, Sidney mm -hmm. Poitier is playing a man full of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you know, he's not a stereotype. Yes. And I think this is a, a really important movie to display how um, the fight against racial bias and prejudice often comes down to the actions of one person. Like it's a one-on-one, -on -one, each one, teach one mm. type of crusade, mm. you know? And, and and that might may seem to put a lot of burden on Black people. And I know Black people are like, I'm tired of educating white people. You mm. know what I mean? Right. But sometimes that's, that's what it comes down to. And I think that's why I really, really like this movie. But historically, Sidney wanted to play this role. And he and Tony were tight. Tony Curtis, you know, they mm -hmm. were friends. Mm -hmm. um, but the studio yoked him into uh, starring in Porgy and Bess oh, as okay. Porgy. Mm -hmm. He did not want to play that role. He thought it was demeaning. And um, uh, Belafonte had already turned it down. Okay. to portray this man who's basically on his knees, being pulled by a goat cart. He's broken down. He has this romance. It, it, you know, Porgy and Bess is a, is a the Gershwin's version of what a Black town in, in uh, South Carolina would be. Hmm. So there's a lot of controversy about it. Oh, but, yeah. you know, I love Porgy and Bess as well because rarely did you see a movie at that time that was all peopled by black folks so mm -hmm. that film has a has a place in my heart as well oh wow yes yeah, um, it was a, a rare one yeah go ahead yeah um i already mentioned the raising the sun um lilies of the field for which he received his first oscar can i ask and, you about one of them excuse this. me can I ask you about one that uh, I'm, I'm learning as I'm listening to you, but I didn't realize To Serve With Love was about a, a He was an educator in that one, right? He was. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that role a little bit? What can you tell us about To Serve With Love? Oh, my gosh. So To Serve With Love was also really impactful because um, he is a teacher of a predominantly white uh, class in England. 
And I think it's interesting because um, England has has been portrayed as being a little more progressive in terms of its racial politics. Mm-hmm. And you see to some degree that's true that they would hire um, an African, I mean, he's not even an African-American, he's an Afro-British mm-hmm. subject who wants to come to America. Mm-hmm. And again, he portrays this role with so much dignity and tact. You see his anger about the frustrations of teaching, which so many teachers can relate to. Mm -hmm. And he learns how to control this unruly class of white high school students. And some of them are very bigoted, Mm. but he earns their respect by treating them as fellow adults. Like he just kind of throws out the curriculum and says, hey, you guys are getting ready to graduate. You're going to be in the world of work, romance. You're going to have to earn money. You're going to have to take care of yourselves. I'm going to educate you in how to be gentlemen and ladies. And that's something that's super appealing to these young people and to people who watched the movie that this brother could teach Mm. these young white kids um, how to behave. And and he earned their eternal... uh, love for it and and Mm. this is like one of my favorite favorite movies because he does face bias he faces Mm. um you know the aggression of adolescent white males he has to control some some young women some of whom he tells them you know uh you cannot be sluts you know nobody's gonna marry a slut okay Mm. and you can be one if you want to but your, your future is going to be dim. Mm. Um, and this is one of the trio of movies that came out in 67 that were was a high point year for him. It was yes. to serve with love in the heat of the night and guess who's coming to dinner, which Woo! also shocked a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, All right, talk to us about that because I know we're running low on the clock, but uh, that was a big one too, right? Guess who's coming to dinner? That was a major film for him because... Um, it presented the uh, concept of interracial romance mm-hmm. at a time when, I mean, it was interracial romance in this country was not new, but uh, to see it portrayed on screen and to hear the arguments for and against from, you know, uh, these fantastic actors, Catherine Hepburn, um, you know, uh, the woman who played his mother was a major actress whose name escapes me at the moment. Mm-hmm. This was the argument for can we bridge our racial biases, even if we proclaim to be liberal, even if <laughs> philosophically on, we oh. say love is love and you can marry anyone. When it comes to your living room, are you going to accept it? So, so of course he's a doctor. He's he's unassailable. He's tall, dark, handsome. He's a, you know accomplished. Who can argue? He, he's like the model of the elegant black man. So, what can you say against him? And this movie was really, really important. I also love some of the movies that he directed, um, for Love of Ivy, uh, Buck and the Preacher, and then A Warm December that came in uh, 1973, where he also plays a doctor 
um, who goes to England and meets an African princess who is part of a diplomatic, um, uh, a diplomatic embassy from this uh, African country. It is like one of the first movies to really deal with sickle cell anemia, which was a disease that was really starting to decimate the black population in America and abroad. And not many people knew about sickle cell anemia and the princess that he falls in love with has sickle cell anemia. So this film mm. did a lot, it was a romance, but it did a lot to talk about how to fight it, what the symptoms are and what the um, prognosis for long life could be with the disease. Wow. wow. So, that is yeah. a breakdown right there. And it's like, as I was listening to you describe that and guess who's coming to dinner, we, we came full circle, Janine, because we started this conversation kind of alluding to Jordan Peele's Us. That was an interracial <laughs> romance. And that white Absolutely. woman brought uh, that brother home uh, to meet a so-called liberal family. And you saw uh, how that went down. So, uh, but to do it in the time that Sidney Poitier did it was nothing short of transitional it, it was transformative because up to that point uh again for someone of his height and stature and hue uh it, it was highly uncommon to to see such depictions on the big screen and he did himself and the black community so well he also went on at some point uh i learned it's it, well probably earlier than that he did an early version of liz estrada which of course became yes. the basis of uh, Spike Lee's Chirac, which I did not care for, but I knew it was based on Liz Estrada. And so yes. Sydney has done it all. And then at some point, and I'm trying to go kind of fast here because at some point he became Sir Sydney. Was, was that a moniker that came from To Sir With Love that he was knighted with much later in life? Or did, I, I think Queen Elizabeth you know, gave him that, right? That's interesting. I never thought about the connection between that because um, he was knighted uh, by uh, Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that came until the early 70s, but in mm -hmm. the film To Sir With Love, because he was teaching them to talk to each other as ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, okay. he was teaching the uh, women to be called as Miss. And mm -hmm. so they were to address him as Sir. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in the film, he he was addressed as sir. So at the end of the film, they kind of give him a a special going away present because he's he thinks he's leaving the school to to go take an engineering job. And ultimately, at the end of the movie, he he they sing him that song to sir with love, which is I love that song. So oh much. wow! Yeah, his name will go down in history as one of the best that ever did it, Mr. Sir Sidney Poitier. And uh, we've been paying tribute to him on this episode of Psychotic Bump School with film critic and reviewer, Ms. Janine Coveney, uh, currently in Virginia. Janine, thank you so much for this incredible breakdown of this amazing artist and career, the man, the legend, Mr. Sidney Poitier. What's the best way for people to keep in contact with you and to follow your wonderful podcast? Oh, thank you for this opportunity. There's not enough time to talk about all the things that Sydney has done. Um, you can go to my Facebook page, Words on Flicks, on uh, Facebook. You can find the uh, you can find my Twitter, Words on Flicks, and um, you can listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Look under eWaterRadio.com. No school.
Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Time, as well as Friday evening from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guests for the evening, Dr. Amanda Rankin, Amina Dumbia, Akila McCord, Kendrick Thomas, and of course our good sister, Janine Kovney. Also want to send a very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.